HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Welcome to Meet and 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host and HRN's communications director, Kat Johnson. Over the past few years, the legal cannabis industry has been blooming in states across the nation. From recreational use of marijuana to the resurgence of hemp farming in the American South, weed is here to stay. So the cool kids in Colorado, we call it flower. Um, Uh If you'd look at our purple haze, you would definitely say, hey, that looks like a flower. Mm -hmm. Um, It's beautiful. Here at HRN, there's nothing we like better than stories where things just come together. Like cheese and weed. On a recent episode of Cutting the Curd, host Diane Stemple spoke with cheesemonger turned cannabis advisor Christina Fleming about the surprising similarities between selling two notoriously pungent products. What surprised you the most in your transition from cheese to pot? You know, I think just I had already realized that it was a cheese counter of a different type. Um, I mean, really, I... Not a whole lot has seemed much different other than the cleanup or the setup uh-huh. um, inventory. Easier. Exactly. I don't have to sit on a cardboard box and freeze my butt off for hours in a walk-in and get blue cheese in my sock. I love cheese, but I have loved cannabis for a very long time. <laughs> it has always made the cheese taste better. Um, so you're from one love to to the next. Exactly. Perfect. I mean, perfect pairing items. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what skills do you feel translate best from um, cheese to marijuana? Honestly, I mean, customer service. Mm-hmm. That is number one. Uh, discerning what the customer's needs are, making it really approachable. Uh, every cheese counter I've ever worked at, if somebody doesn't really know the product and... You know, they're feeling adventurous. They still walk up to it and are afraid to ask questions. They're going to feel dumb. Uh, They're just, they're overwhelmed. They don't know where to start. And it's the exact same thing. And I've always taken pleasure in finding uh, the right product for the right customer. You might have a customer who loves wash drines. The next customer, keep them away from them. And they're going to tell you how how gross they are. You know, when it comes to cannabis, your nose knows if you are really drawn to citrusy, lemony smells, the terpene lemonine, which is found 
pretty much prevalent in everything, food, cheese, mm-hmm. flowers, um, mm-hmm. marijuana, uh, flower, I guess. Wait, I got to be a cool kid. If you are drawn to that smell, more than likely you're going to enjoy the euphoria of that high. You just got to think of it as almost like an aromatherapy. Now, what, what are the favorite strains? Or is it up there, uppers, downers, or men? You know, that's the best part. Uh, it, it's really matching what suits the needs of the customer. It's mostly, you know, they say they want a sativa. Great. So do you want to conquer the world? Do you want to have hazy eyes? Do you want to, you know, just relax all day and be floaty? Or do you want to feel like this was coffee? Um, it's okay, Yeah. So the question, Joel. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And, of course, like any good cheesemonger, you're putting on a show. To hear Diane's full interview with Christina Fleming, check out episode 310 of Cutting the Curd. Now, let's follow up our cheese course with a drink. CBD is a non-psychoactive compound found in cannabis, and it's popping up left and right across the food and beverage world. Membership coordinator Hannah Forden and I paid a visit to Manhattan restaurant Saxon and Parole to learn about some of their new cocktail offerings. You get to know, relax, a little bit less stress, which is a good point with the business now. That's Mika Dostas. He's the head bartender at Saxon and Parole in Soho. The restaurant launched a CBD cocktail program about a month ago. We can do whatever you want with CBD. And uh, we decided to create a kind of new non-alcoholic drinks, a little bit more elegant drink, a little bit sophisticated. CBD is everywhere you look in New York City. On Bogart Street in Brooklyn, where HRN's headquarters are, there are three different businesses where you can buy CBD-infused treats, just on one block. And uh, yes, it's a kind of cannabis, but you not get high at all. Cannabidiol is one of many cannabinoids found in cannabis plants. Unlike THC, CBD is legal here in New York State. It's known to reduce inflammation from arthritis and other ailments. CBD is also used to treat anxiety, insomnia, and can even be used as an antipsychotic, according to a study published by the Journal of the American Medical Association. Is the city that never sleeps finally ready to relax? Before mixing up a CBD-infused mocktail, Mika gave Kat and me a taste of Rosebud CBD oil, which is the brand Saxon and Parole uses. But what? So your first impression for you is like grass, no weed. It's nice. No? Yeah, it's a little like weed. But mm-hmm. I feel like if I was describing it to someone who'd never had weed before, I would say, you know, it's grassy. It's kind of herbal in a way. On its own, the coconut oil-based tincture has a refreshing outdoorsy flavor. But when mixed, its herbal profile gets overpowered by whatever it's added to. So this cocktail is um, ginger and mint swizzle. Even if you can't taste the grass, these drinks are very tasty. We're going to add like the dashes of the CBD. Offering non-alcoholic, relaxing, and delicious beverages is a refreshing take on the standard cocktail menu. Swizzle it. That's why it's called swizzle. It's a way how to make a drink. And voila, the CBD, ginger, and mint swizzle. Please enjoy. 
After Kat and I got back from Saxon and Parole, we sat down and compared notes about how we felt after trying our first CBD-infused cocktail. So when we tried the cocktail, you did not get any of the flavor of the CBD. Nonetheless, it was a really delicious cocktail and it was alcohol-free, which was awesome. And no, I didn't feel any more relaxed than I did normally. But, you know, the next day, maybe I felt a little bit more chilled out. Maybe I wasn't as stressed about my deadlines for meeting three. Yeah, I do feel like maybe the next day I felt it more not so much the night of, but I feel like I had a like an especially relaxing Sunday the day afterwards. So I'll credit that to the CPD. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. CBD is a hot item on menus around New York, but recently cannabis has been in the spotlight on the national political scene. Medical marijuana is legal in some capacity in every state except Idaho, Kansas, Nebraska, and South Dakota. Eight states have legalized recreational marijuana. Those of us living in the remaining 42 states are left wondering, is the grass really greener? Legalization was a huge point of discussion during the heated New York Democratic primary. Actor and activist Cynthia Nixon campaigned for, and in the end lost, the Democratic nomination for governor. Her opponent was incumbent Governor Andrew Cuomo. The rhetoric surrounding the topic of legalization felt like a microcosm of the divisions within the Democratic Party right now. Two deeply different candidates, both Democrats, who by the end of the race were both in favor of legalization. The big question became, is legalization a public safety issue or a racial justice issue? There are a lot of good reasons for legalizing marijuana. But for me, it comes down to this. We have to stop putting people of color in jail for something that white people do with impunity. 80% of the New Yorkers who are arrested for marijuana are black or Latino, despite the fact that whites and people of color use marijuana at roughly the same rates. According to the Drug Policy Alliance, for the past 20 years, New York State has had more marijuana-related arrests and summonses than anywhere else in the country. Governor Cuomo has been vocally opposed to legalization since he was elected in 2010, but in 2018, he became committed to learning more about the issue. Uh, I think we should fund DOH to do a study, let them work with the state police, other agencies, look at the health impact, the economic impact, the state of the law, if it was legalized in Jersey and it was legal in Massachusetts and the federal government allowed it to go ahead, what would that do to New York, which is right in the middle? In July, the Department of Health released the study Governor Cuomo ordered. 
It's a 69-page assessment weighing the pros and cons of legalization in New York. The study's findings are clear. The pros of legalizing marijuana in New York State far outweigh the cons. Quote, New York State would be one of the largest regulated marijuana markets. As such, there is potential for substantial tax revenue in New York State, which can be used to help support program initiatives in areas such as public health, education, transportation, research, law enforcement, and workforce development. Tax revenues can also support health care and employment. Finally, legalization of marijuana will address an important social justice issue by reducing disproportionate criminalization and incarceration of certain racial and ethnic minority communities, end quote. According to a recent Quinnipiac poll, 63% of New Yorkers think that recreational marijuana should be legal for adults. Regardless of whether or not you would partake in a legal toke, it's hard to ignore Cynthia Nixon's point. The simple truth is, for white people, the use of marijuana has effectively been legal for a long time. Isn't it time we legalize it for everybody else? Hemp is a close relative of marijuana, and it grew plentifully across the U.S. for most of our country's history. In fact, humans have been growing hemp for 7,000 years. George Washington grew hemp, and it's rumored that he smoked it a bit to manage the pain from his notoriously bad teeth. Unlike marijuana, hemp does not contain the psychoactive compound THC. But because of its relationship with marijuana, a series of laws passed in the 20th century all but wiped out hemp production in the U.S., the last legal crop of hemp was planted in 1957, and the crop was completely prohibited in 1970. But in recent years, public perception and policy towards this family of plants has been slowly shifting. Hemp is making a comeback, which brings us to our next story from Hannah Forden. So I'm Nat Bradford. I'm the, the main breed line manager for the Bradford family farm and its heirloom crops. And um, the crops that we've been passing down in our family are Bradford watermelons, okra, and collards. And uh, the hemp is a project that we're hoping is going to become one of our um, family heirlooms in the future. The 2013 Farm Bill gave individual states the option to start their own hemp research and pilot programs. So, in May of 2017, the South Carolina legislature passed its own hemp legislation, marking the start of the state's industrial hemp pilot program. 20 farmers were selected from 130 applicants to each grow 20 acres of hemp. Sally McKay is communications director at the South Carolina Department of Agriculture. Our state commissioner of agriculture, Hugh Weathers, is optimistic about this program and has been from the beginning because it is an opportunity for crop diversity for our farmers. It is an opportunity for rural South Carolina, and those don't come along all the time. Nat Bradford is one of the farmers selected as one of the hemp guinea pigs. Hemp was actually something that I've I've been looking forward to for close to 25 years. I've been waiting for the opportunity to be able to grow it in South Carolina, and I'd committed a long time ago. This was back in my college days that as soon as it became legal to grow in South Carolina, I wanted to be the first one out there. And 
it worked out, you know, sent in the application and I was selected as one of the first of 20 farmers in South Carolina to grow hemp as an industrial crop, as a repatriation to South Carolina. So that's exciting. Step one's done, got selected, got to grow some hemp, but we've got a long way to go from here. Matt is known throughout the food world for his work preserving his family's precious heirloom crops. His family has been farming for more than 170 years. So Nat knows a lot about plants. You know, this is my first experience growing it. So starting from a seed, and when we first ordered the seeds and they came in, the first thing I wanted to do was open the bag and smell them and just start engaging my senses with it. Every plant that comes up from seed is different. And so it's, it's learning how the plant grows, how it responds, and then familiarizing myself and my senses with this plant, what it smells like, you know, when you rub your hands to it, or, you know, how does it feel on your hands at different stages? This variety of hemp seeds originated in Europe and came to the Americas by way of Canada. From there, it is grown in Oregon and finally made its way to Nat's farm. This one variety out of about 36,000 seeds we planted, seven plants survived. These seeds I'll plant next year, and instead of seven out of 36,000, I should have, you know, maybe a thousand plants that survived. And then I can save the cream of the crop out of those, plant those again. Eventually, that number is going to continue to climb until I'm getting, you know, 90, 95, 98% success rate and we'll have a strong, vigorous, well-adapted hemp grain variety for South Carolina. But it's, it's going to take that um, selection, that maintaining of the breed line and teasing out those genetics for for resistance and durability in our region, which is really cool. So now what I have are the first resilient genetics of a variety that started in Europe and is in South Carolina now. Through genetic selection, Nat is working to create his own variety of hemp that is perfect for his region. But what exactly is industrial hemp used for? Sally and the rest of her team at the Department of Agriculture hope to see hemp grow the state's agricultural revenue by nearly $8 billion by the year 2020. The other farmers in the pilot program are focused on CBD. Nat is going a different route. He thinks grain production is the best way to create a thriving hemp business in South Carolina. My farm is food-centric, and what I wanted to do was focus on bringing back hemp as a food, which would dovetail very well into our farm already, our farm model, which is food-based. And it's something that's, for me, it's very safe, very relatable. Cold-pressed hemp seed oil is as old as it gets. All you do is squeeze the seeds until the oil comes out. That's it. There's just very little processing. And then um, the meal that's left over you can grind it, stone grind it, or however you want to process it, and then it's it's another good food source. Hemp can serve to diversify South Carolina's crops, presenting new opportunities for the state's farmers and its overall economy. 
when I think of food, I mean, this is something that everybody does three or four times a day or more. We eat and CBD is still going to be a smaller marketplace, um, a higher value product that I just see, again, food is much more relatable. Farmers are already producing um, on large scale production food and you know, I see this as an opportunity for more of the population to get involved with, not just the farmers. Um, but I also see the, the opportunity, you know, this this can be animal feed, which m- most of the, the farms that grow around here, that what they're producing is for animal feed. So I just see there's a lot of opportunities, both for human, both for um, livestock. There's just a lot of ways to get this crop into production and profitable for farmers and ultimately, you know, to serve the public. Next year, the Department of Agriculture will work with 40 farmers in the Industrial Hemp Pilot Program. I couldn't help wondering, will South Carolina follow in other states' footsteps and legalize hemp's notorious cousin, marijuana? Oh. <laughs> hmm. Probably not anytime soon. For now, South Carolinians can focus on celebrating the return of this historic crop. Thanks to Hannah Forden for her reporting on Hemp's Comeback. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We'll be on a short break next week and returning to your podcast feeds on Friday, October 12th with a brand new episode of Meet in 3. Special thanks this week to Diane Stemple and the team at Saxon and Parole. Meet and 3 is produced by Liza Hamm, Hannah Forden, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio.